You are listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Melbourne to Baltimore, from London to Piraeus. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never lose the latest updates and stories of the team you love. This is our team, our city, and our land. Man, Oniro Trello. You're listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to an impromptu live streamed episode of the Gate 7 International Podcast, episode 75, come a long way, pumped, got a lot of stuff to get into, so we're just going to jump right into it. First, obviously, we've got to start with the housekeeping, always have some housekeeping. First thing we wanted to say is that the Olympiacos DC Academy, another game coming up on Saturday, boys are fighting back after a 3-0 loss last weekend hoping that we can change some things up. They're going to be playing against AC Commonwealth. It'll be at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The link will go up on our socials like it always does, and we will also send the link to the Libyakos DC site. If you want to catch the old games that you missed to see what, what's going on, who the future youth product is, uh, you can go to the libyakosdc.com site, go to the UPSL tab, and all the recorded streams from the old sites are there. So we look forward to watching with you this coming Saturday. And as always, thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International. Piraeus International has been helping Greek ship to and from the motherland during COVID-19. Shipments to Greece are going out from Baltimore, Maryland every month. Fill any large U-Haul box, 18 by 18 by 24. Send it to our friends in Baltimore, and it will be shipped to the port of Piraeus for only $50. Better yet, fill any large wardrobe box and send it for $100. Give them a call at 410-675-4696 or send an email to sales at piraeusintl.com. Thank you again, Piraeus, for being our sponsor. And with that, everyone, and there's a few people watching live. I'm like actually very surprised that there's people watching live. Thank you, guys. Drop a comment if you're here live. Anyway, so we have news, and I think the biggest news from our point of view, Olibiaco's point of view, is... Um, is this Silva's interview that's dropped recently on Sport24 with Padelis Diamantopoulos. And it was really interesting. And I kind of want to just highlight a few comments that he made that I found interesting. I did a bit of a translation uh, and kind of just put the comments together. So he said that the backroom staff didn't want Silva's, him, or Fortunis to become the captain as they were worried that they would become too influential and would kind of make a call to have um, some of the old players come back, such as Manola, Socrates, Ketalipa. And he, he, he made a statement that he felt like there were plans organized to get rid of certain players, such as him and Fortunis. Like, he almost felt like they were stepping on, like, my reading of it, this is not what he said, like, there were, it was a bit of a minefield, you know, like, if they said a comment or mentioned a name, they would be thrown out of the national team. And another comment that was very interesting was that he, John Van Chip, after he made the comments, Siovas made the comments to Open TV, blah, 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 didn't really say anything bad about him. He was just like, okay. And then he left for Spain and nothing bad happened and everything, everyone thought everything was good. 
that was until he heard that he went on open TV and basically slandered him and said he was kicked off the team. And this hit a point that Silva's hit even larger that was just JVS has mistreated a lot of the people, whether like they don't deserve to be on the team or they do. Like the players have just been treated in a poor manner and just like not as people almost just like not in a respectful manner if they're he kind of made clear like if i'm not on the team tell me i'm not on the team but like show me respect and don't act like i'm a child finally he made a note about returning to olibiakos he wants to return with cosas manolas he said he wants to throw the fifth star onto our jersey so that is just four more titles away i would love to see it guys and that's it can he last that long is he going to last long enough to get yeah. to give us that fifth star? In the Avram role, I don't know. But what, what do you know. think about those comments about JVS? And especially, I don't know, did you watch the whole interview? What did what did you think about I watched the, a lot, the bits and pieces, the important parts at least. And let me tell you, it doesn't surprise me. The more I hear about JVS, the more of a coward he sounds like. The more of a piece of shit he sounds like. I'm sorry. And maybe it's not entirely his fault. Maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit more coming further up but he's always appeared spineless to me and the more i hear about him and the more i hear from him the honestly the less i can root for him i will always root for greece in the national team but jvs continues to rub me the wrong way and it just becomes clear and clear that he has had an agenda against certain players and that there has been something because a lot of it doesn't make any sense and he tries to tiptoe between this line of, oh, I don't like you, but, you know, the, the doors are still open. And to hear, and I believe 100% that he said nothing to Siovas before that interview. I believe it 100%. I'm sorry. JVS has done nothing to make me trust him. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I know I was probably the only person on the podcast that said, I think I was the only person that said I wasn't ready to fire JVS yet. And, I, you know, and I'm not, but... I just disagree with every part of his management decision. I don't think he's a good coach. He's not a game manager. He doesn't adjust tactics. And I know people are excited for some of these friendlies coming up. I'm not because you know what we're going to see? We're going to see something really cool. I bet you we're going to see something really fun and really cool. All so that he doesn't do it when it counts because he's going to trust losers like Limyol and Bacasetas, Stafilidis, Savelas. Savelas is actually having a decent season in Turkey, but he's still a loser to me. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I I, I watched the whole interview. Like I sat through an hour and 20 minutes of it as I was doing readings for class. Um, and the biggest thing that hit me was just like, this was such an honest interview. It was really not really bullshit. He was super open. like, And... It just the disrespect on a human level and the one comment he made and that I highlighted about like almost like traps being set up for certain players such as Fortuny, such as Siovas. Like I, I want to go back to when JVS was making those comments about Fortunis, like unprovoked, like in the media, just like once Fortunis, Fortunis is not fit. He needs to play for Olympiacos. He does nothing. And if you guys remember back those times, like Fortunis kept being asked about that. Like, what do you think of JVS's comments? Like, almost like they wanted him to say, like, I don't believe him or I don't trust him or, you know, something like these were comments that he was making to the media that were almost just like, I'm trying to provoke a response out of Fortunis so I can kick him off the national team like I've done with the others. And I would not be surprised if that was the idea. And one of the more disgusting things that really 
pissed me off too. I didn't mention in this little summary was the backroom staff. And like, I've taken so much criticism for like not being on board with the national team in this project. And like, the thing is they're like just spineless. And some of those, so those people behind the scenes, the Greek ones, one or two from Euro 2004, it has to be said, are, are cowards too, just like JVS. And they're part of the problem. And a lot of times, Siovas made the point that they would mistranslate things or they would put things in a certain light or they would put certain players from a certain light. But Jimenez would force this. The players would be put in certain lights. And like that is just an undeniable fact. And it's just disgusting behavior. And I really don't, I'm really tired of the argument like the national team is above this and like we have to come together because it's the national team as it is has been set up as a political organization that is like against certain players. Is Are they all against Olympiacos players? I don't buy into that argument as much, but are they against certain players? Hell yeah, they are to me. I, I'm just putting my opinion out there. Uh, now, that, look, for me, I have been saying this from the get-go. I've been pointing out the flaws with JVS's tactics and the nonsense and the, the management decisions, the player decisions. Since the beginning of this year, since the fall, and this comment, this comment from our good friend Michael Vicini from Elas Footy, JVS levels Australia. I agree. I agree with him. He has done nothing to show me anything otherwise. I, I, used, I was calling it out against Kosovo, against every freaking minnow that we played against. And everyone was like, oh, this was a master class. Look at how offensive we play. Yeah, okay. And then I kept bringing it up. This doesn't look good for Spain. We're going to have a team that's going to do nothing against Spain. We're not going to create a single opportunity. And we didn't. We got a lucky PK. And then I was worried about Georgia. Everyone laughed at me and said, oh, don't worry about Georgia. It's going to be fine. And we bit it against Georgia. I have been right about this whole thing. I'm going to toot my own horn. I have been right about it for six months. And it annoys the shit out of me because I don't like being right about the ethnic sucking ass. And I don't like being right about our coach being a dumbass. And I don't like being right about the bullshit going on behind the scenes. It's frustrating. It sucks because guess what, people? The world makes fun of us for that. How many times do we get scapegoated and we get looked at? Oh, it's Greece. There's always like corrupt shit that goes on down here. It's not a good look. And it's, it pisses me off. And this whole thing, like that, that interview just rubbed me the wrong way because all it did was confirm suspicions people have about the country and what goes on behind the scenes in the country. Also, and it, it was honest, too. The whole interview from his time at Olympiacos, he talked about Paolo Bento, he talked about all these things. Like, there wasn't, like, there's not bullshit in this, this, this interview. Like, it was literally just a player who's like, I play abroad, I'm 32 years old. I don't really give a shit, like, if I come back to the national team. So I'm just going to be honest. I'm here with Padelis Diamantopoulos, who's a really good journalist and, like, is, is actually kind of just friends with some of these guys because he's so close to Olympiacos and he's friends with all these guys. And they just had a freaking discussion. Like, I, I, I encourage people to just, if, if you're Greek-speaking, to just, like, sit there and watch. Because if you watch the body language, if you watch how he talks and you watch how the conversation, I don't know if you picked up on that, but it was just, like, there was no there was no bullshit in this like media trained media right. work like it was just like they were literally sitting on couches just like talking for an hour and a half and it was fantastic what does he have to lose like He's why why would lose. he lie what what does he have to lose see that's the thing because i did see i did see some people mainly some fans from a certain club that had seemed to have this infatuation with jvs i won't say names 
But what does he have to lose? What does he have to gain? Nothing. Not nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then once you recognize that, then you can actually listen to that interview and be like, "Wow, this this is enlightening." Because it yeah. was. It was. It just confirmed suspicions that we had about Socrates. And again, similar thoughts that were echoed. I mean, bullshit about him going and reaching out to Socrates only for an interview to be done by Chris Wheatley, the football London journalist that we had on the show, where it was like, no, uh, no one. I haven't talked to anybody about the national team. Yeah. It's, it just, it's just, it goes to show, it just goes to show that the, the, whole, the whole setup is completely screwed. And hopefully with Zagorakis at the helm, he had that meeting with JVS. Hopefully things are going to change. And that's all we can hope for. Hopefully, you know, I'm willing to, I want to give JVS the benefit of the doubt and say that, you know what, it was Ramenos and the other people behind him. They are the ones that did this. They're the ones that kind of forced him to play these weird games. And now the shackles are off and he's going to actually start being a real coach. Maybe. Yeah. I'm hoping. I think that's yeah. the best case scenario. Um, for sure and, uh, and I, I have one last point like I don't know if you caught the point about him when he was talking about going to Spain and like how he's transformed his body how he like arrived in Spain he came there was an injury at Olympiacos he was at the end of Paolo Bento who was just like he hated as well he mentioned again like he was talking so openly he was like I hated Paolo Bento like I needed to leave Olympiacos I wanted it to go abroad blah 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 so he shows up in Spain and the coach there takes a look at him and weighs him and just goes like dude you have to lose eight kilos you're not fit and you gotta so you're gonna be running for the next three weeks you're not even gonna train with us and he made Silvas work with the trainer and the guy lost eight kilos and then started putting it back in muscle and he's like i'm in the best shape of my life here in spain like things are different here like i get to compete at a high level it's not six European games, eight European games. I every game is tough and difficult, and it was just an honest interview. And the guy is a care. Like if you, we're, we're playing Sfarnas, we're playing Stafilidis over this guy, and again, it was just the way in which he spoke and the way, and it's just like this is a this guy's a top player and like a player who gets it. That's that's basically all I have on this. But I don't know you. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, it, it confirms also, like, when, when he left, right, during that season with Bento, we were, a lot of people were saying, like, oh, he kind of looks, like, unfit, a little overweight, and it confirmed that. And the, the discipline, the mental constitution for him to get into that shape, because, you know, there was a comment earlier by uh, uh, G. our friend from Madrid, you know, uh, Siovas, because he is in great shape, and he is constantly one of the best defenders every week in La Liga. But you know what it's like? To have to lose eight kilos in before you can even touch a ball, before you're even considered by the coach. When I was in my first year of undergrad or uni, as uh, people across the pond might call it, uh, and I returned from my first year, my first semester at college, I put on the freshman 30, okay? Uh, I gained a ton of weight. Yeah, okay, I'm not going to say like the eating habits or the drinking habits I had, but you know, I was working <laughs> out. I gained a ton of weight really fast. And you guys met Coach Yanni. He was, we had him on the pod. Uh, he was, I was training with him and I was still playing at the time. And when he, I came back for one of my first practices with him, he told me the same thing. I was like, you need to lose seven and a half kilos. And while everybody else got to do drills and tactics stuff, you know what I was doing? I was fucking running for an hour. You know what that's like? 
running every day until you lose the weight that you're required to lose, it sucks. And it really makes you hate going to practice and you don't want to play the game. But the discipline he had to actually want to do that and to be able to do that and to keep doing it so that he could get into this position, it takes so much mental discipline and focus to be able to do that. It's so tough. And he is he has that he has that mentality as a player that you want on the national team. And he's an amazing defender and he's better, I think, for it. Yeah. Honestly, just the interview was so good. I I, I I don't I feel like I'm repeating myself, but like I thoroughly enjoyed listening to this whole thing. And, and it was like enthralling, I can say. Like it was just super interesting to listen to. And because people are not that open footballers like and current footballers especially but like when a player is from abroad a greek player goes and plays abroad at the highest level i just feel like there's a bit of a clarity when they come back and they give interviews in greece and they're just like they give good interviews i yeah i i think that's it and adi do you want to give us there's been rumblings of one one young player not too far from me uh, coming to Olympiacos. Are we going to give an update on uh, this kid? What's his name? What's his situation? Yeah, uh, you guys may have heard. We've talked to him before. He's been brought up in the past. Uh, we brought him up when we were talking about Ike when they were playing their playoff against this Swiss team, St. Galen, uh, Leonidas Steriu. He is both Greek. He has Greek and Swiss, I think, citizenship. But at the, as, at the moment, he appears to have opted to play for the Swiss national team. I know he's playing for the U21s, and I thought I remember it being said. I don't remember if it was on the LS40 podcast or uh, so, somebody bringing it up uh, in one of the journals. But somebody had mentioned he could play for Greece. I don't know what the status is. I'm pretty sure I heard that he was just playing for Switzerland. Michael, if you're still in the comments, correct me if I'm wrong. But... Once again, he's on the radar for Libyakos. He was on the radar um, for uh, he was on the radar for Libyakos in the winter, and I think this past summer. Uh, yes, and I actually it was brought up in our group thread also earlier. Michael brought it up again in the comments that you have Serbian ethnicity as well mixed in there. This kid can pretty yeah. much play for whatever country he wants, I guess. But yeah, uh, we're heavily linked with him. He is 19 years old, guys. Uh, highly touted prospect. He has gained like 5 million in value just from his play this year. So we did a bit of a deep dive because the rumors are pretty serious, just like the Belhanda rumors. And it looks like we may be offloading a center back. And with that money, we want to get somebody that we're going to be able to bring in, develop a little bit, and also be able to sell for big bucks. So we did a deep dive on him because... Yeah, you guys love to hear. You like like to see what these possible uh, potential additions we have could offer us. So we did what we always do. I watched some tape, and here's what I got. So uh, watched uh, pretty much almost all seasons worth of film on him. He's a physical, physical kid. 5'11", 100, and he weighed in at the, I think, at the middle of the season at 100, almost 160 pounds. So uh, pretty good. I mean, Athletic, not too, not too big, not too lean, right where you want. Not the tallest center back, but uh, he's very, very physical, guys. He doesn't shy down, shy away from anybody. I mean, you get close to him, he's grappling with you. He's getting scrappy. Uh, and it's nice because he doesn't draw too many fouls. Actually, he draws the least amount of fouls. He's like in the lowest three among defenders. 
in terms of drawing those. He's very smart. He plays within the rules of the game, uh, but he doesn't make it easy for anyone. Fundamentals are sound. And when I say fundamentals for a defender, I mean his positioning, the way he boxes people out, where he, where he sends them. Uh, for those of you that do play defense, you know that when people are sprinting at you on the counter or when they're sprinting at you in open field, you're supposed to contain them and try and move them to the outside. And then you give yourself enough time for somebody to track back. Does that very well. Doesn't make too many lunges. Uh, doesn't really get caught open that often. Uh, he, When closing down players that have some skill and the ability to beat you on the ball, he doesn't, he doesn't jump. He waits and he has pretty quick reflexes too. And he looks, he looks pretty good. I mean, for a 19 year old kid, I was impressed with how consistent and how solid he looked in, in some of these situations. Uh, Michael Vicini also bring up a great comment. Uh, when he watched him play against St. Galen, first impression was he played like a veteran. Yeah, guys. I mean, when you watch him, if you don't know that he's 19 years old, you're like, man, this guy, this kid's, he's got some experience. He knows what he's doing. He knows the looks, he knows where he's going and he does. And Closing down players, he is very, very good. Uh, yes, G uh, Kotsia uh, seven. Yes, he. You're is he fast? He's pretty quick. He's pretty quick. Not the fastest I've seen, but he's quick. Quick enough, as quick as you need to be for a center back. Uh, he ranks fifteenth among all center backs in Switzerland, uh, both left and right, of course, uh, with a hodgepodge of different. Of course, remember those those rankings include a whole bunch of different stats and weighted metrics. So uh, 15th isn't bad. It's not the best, but it's good. It's solid. For a 19-year-old kid, I don't think you can expect much more. It's, it's pretty good uh, for, for that type of player. As I was mentioning before, very good closing players down. 70, almost 72% success in defensive duels. Number six overall, not just center backs, number six overall in Switzerland when closing players down. Very good. I mentioned it before. Doesn't jump. Very good at using his space very wisely to crowd people out. He's also top 10 uh, in, in terms of total interceptions. Has 109, 169, 169 interceptions on the season. Number six overall. He also leads uh, Swiss players in an interesting statistic with regards to interceptions. He leads in interceptions per opponent's pure possession in 30 minutes. So for every pure possessive period, so 30-minute period where they just accumulate all the time an opponent or all the time a team actually has possession, they're moving the ball around, not just they get the ball and lose it. They're moving the ball around. He leads all players in interceptions. So that means when a team is on the ball, he's very good at reading. He's very good at reading where the ball's going, how the plays are developing. And then if a ball comes deep or if a ball's being played, he's very good at picking out where that pass is going to go, getting it, and of course, winning possession for his team. Very interesting statistic. And I love that because uh, the, the player has a very, seems to have a very high IQ in, in terms of the defensive end of the ball. Now, not so good in the air, unfortunately. Uh, again, he's not the tallest and I don't really know positioning also is kind of weird when he's on set pieces, uh, trying to, I, I don't think he's really good at judging the ball when it's in the air. Uh, but that's something that could be worked on 47% success. And he has heavy, heavy volume in the defensive penalty area. So in his penalty area, he sees some of the highest volume of aerial duels in the league, in the Swiss league. And he's 40 almost 43% in terms of his success rate. So 
I am not super I'm not super high on him in the air. But again, these are things that can be worked on. Uh, body language is good. Uh, we talked about Behanda. I hated the body language. He just seemed like he would yell at players constantly. No, the body language is good. You see him. Um, obviously, he's 19 years old. You don't see him like barking orders. He, 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 you see him acknowledging things being said to him. You see him pointing out players. So that's good. This is all stuff that's good you like to see. Very positive. Nothing, nothing poor. And I mentioned before, he doesn't accrue too many yellow cards. So uh, at the end of all these deep dives, everyone asks, Adi, you want him? Do you not want him? So yeah, I want him. I want him on this team. He's a great player at 19 years old. Now, the question is, are we going to pay the money to get him? Because he's valued at $5 million, And I know other teams are looking at him. I don't see how we get this kid for less than $5 million. I think he could be worth it. And it's not like we're, playing, we're, we're paying for money for a Bjorn Angles. That's not the type of center back we need. No, this kid can fit right in. I don't know if he necessarily can be a quarterback center like CB, like Semedo. For us, I don't know if he's like a ball player, but we have Markovic coming back who fills that role if Semedo does leave. So he only his volume is like 30 touches a game. That's what he averages. I saw two games where he actually had like 60 touches, but I don't see a lot of that confidence on the ball. And maybe because he doesn't get as many opportunities, something he can grow to have. I don't know. I don't think... I don't know if it's there, but hey, I mean, there's, he's so young. We, we could see that. But he definitely looks like a solid player. Um, in terms of his defensive ability, Gikotia7 uh, uh, asks, who would you compare him with? Um, see, that's tough because I think of Retzos, but without the ball-playing ability uh, because Retzos was very good with the ball at his feet. And this kid is good with short passing. He'll get it. He'll dish it to who's next to him. Looks composed on the ball, and the technique is there. He keeps it very close to him. But you don't see that confidence on the ball that, like, Semedo has or Retzos had at such a young age, especially. So, But Retzos was pretty good defensively, and Retzos was also pretty good in the air. So he's he's like uh, – I would, I would pretty much say he's like a poor man's Retzos in this respect, uh, you know, because he's not as good in the air, and I don't know if he has that ball-playing ability. So – but he's very good closing people down, and he's very good on the defensive aspects of the ball. So that's that's my thing on 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 him. I would take him at five million. I also I would still take him, assuming that we would play him. But I don't think I, I find it to be very hard to believe we could get him for that amount of money, yeah, or less. No, I, I just to jump in from the Swiss perspective here. This kid is playing for St. Gallen, a team that is pretty big team but they're currently in a bit of the relegation fight like the swiss tables really close the hometown team servette was in second place now not in second place anymore but st gallen is um like very close to the relegation fight it's very tight at the bottom so not the best team in the world but also he's been voted like best player in switzerland best young player in switzerland i should say He's highly well regarded. The press here is saying that he's linked with Italian teams. I know Atalanta is supposedly one of the Italian teams that are sniffing around. To be honest, guys, I don't think this one's happening. Don't see it happening at all. Michael saying, I see him in the Bundesliga. I kind of see him in the Bundesliga as well. I see, or in Italy as well. The Italian teams like to sniff around here as well. Um, 
and and it's funny you do this this uh the full report like i'm a bit scared he's not going to play for the greek national team one and two he's not going to come to olympiakos either and so our our little hearts are going to be broken after the deep dive yeah i i mean i would love i mean he's at such a young age to see what you see in him it's 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 so refreshing to see but that's why I just don't think it's realistic that we're going to get him because this kid is going to go for at least five million. If you got him for five, that's a steal. I'll be honest with you with with what I've watched. He's really good. And you know what? I'll cross my fingers. If if we can get him and we get him for five, if we get him for less, that would be uh, all hail the front office. That yeah. would be amazing. But uh, but the you thing know, is, I think it's time we get to – Can, what, what, can I look? just jump in real quick? The thing is – one, it's going to be difficult for Olympiakos, but two, like, why would this guy ever play for the Greek national team after we just talked about a brilliant defender in Dimitri Silvas? Like, what? do you know how competent football is here in Switzerland? How good the national team is here in Switzerland? Like, why in the hell would this kid ever choose to play for Greece over, like, the facilities they have here, the team they have here, like, Bro, there's no comparison. I I wouldn't... I would play for the Greek national team because I love Greece, blah, blah, blah. But if I was in this kid's shoes where I grew up in Switzerland, I've come through the system in Switzerland, to go play for Greece, who doesn't even have a training center for their national team? Come on now. I would say that, I mean, at least there are a lot more younger players getting looks right now under JVS. That's like one of the one things I, I have positive to say about him. So I think he would get a look at the national team to be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I were in his shoes, if I would switch. I mean, I, me, like if it's a choice between the U S and, uh, and Greece, I'm obviously picking Greece. I'm sorry. You know, that that's just it for me, but I understand the, uh, I love it. <laughs> uh, seven. You, you, you're killing me here. JVS would play Svavnas instead. You're not wrong, buddy. You are not wrong. I'm telling you, there is like dark forces on our national team. And like, it just pains me to, it, it pains me to like talk about the national team because like, it seems like some people haven't come to this reality. It's just like, you know what I mean? Adi, like, there's stuff in the background going on with this national team that like maybe it doesn't make the front page news and maybe like some people take it as conspiracy talk but it's just like not it's just not and like anyone who has followed greek football for a long time knows this stuff is true you know what i mean it's just anyway oh decimus you're killing me now Every, but you guys are killing me here in the comments yeah, jvs would have cristiano play this is why we do the episodes live <laughs> jvs would have cristiano and still play I swear. all right well you know what we're not gonna waste any more time on jvs we're not gonna waste any more time on uh the greek national team but we are gonna jump into post-match for us that us uh bit of a boring do we game have to? Do we have a, to? A, we'll just jump into it. Look, oh, we'll just jump Jesus. into it real quick, get it out of the way so we can get into some more meaty stuff. Uh, the death of the European Super League. Everyone's looking forward to that. But let's just jump into the post-match. It was pretty boring. I watched it on delay, and I already could tell from our group chat that I wasn't going to like this game because I literally had just started the first half, and I see Martial's halftime comments. He's like, what a waste of 45 minutes of my life. 
Yes, Decimus. That match was bad from my eyes too, my friend. Yes, it, it really was. I mean, it, there, it was frustrating for a couple of reasons, but let's get into some data first. So expected goals. Uh, the expected goals, it was 1.46 for Libyakos versus 0.48 for Asteras. So one nothing score full-time kind of makes sense. It does. Uh, that was pretty much the game script. Asteras didn't really offer anything forward. Uh, they didn't really offer that much at all. A couple of dangerous opportunities that didn't really pan out into anything material. Uh, in terms of shots, Olympiacos ended up with 11 with four on target, 36% efficiency. Asteras had six with only one on target, 16, 6-7%. Uh, positional attacks, Olympiacos had 30, resulting in eight shots total. We were definitely the most effective on the right with an XG of 0.57, 0.28 on the left. Now, funny thing to mention here, uh, because all of the, we'll say, it came out to almost like 60% of the X, X goal threat generated in open play came when one player was involved. Lombardo, who do you think that one player was? Hassan. Nope. One player was involved? Myers there was one Versailles. player, and that's correct. Ev yeah. Almost every play he was involved in led to some form of ex-goal threat. So Mario Vrusai was really good. I mean, just what a great return uh, for him. Uh, now, in terms of the counter, we really didn't have any. I think we had one, and it resulted in nothing. Astatus had nine counters, uh, resulting in three shots. Um, and most of that ex-goal threat came from the right. Uh, five counters on the right side of the field. Ending in 0.22 X goal, uh, XG threat. So Astetas really didn't offer anything much all game. They were the most dangerous pretty much on the counter. In open play, they had a combined total of 0.09 XG, nothing. It was just the counter. Didn't really offer much. So game kind of went how we, I guess, expected. Uh, you know, when you've already secured the title, it's kind of hard to motivate your players. The I'm not super upset about much of this game, except for one thing. Why the hell could we not have had one academy player playing? Whether it was Solakis between the sticks or Sorlis in the midfield, maybe even Apostolopoulos on the left. I don't care. Like, it, this is a status, guys. I get it. Okay, they're a top six team. And I'm sorry, Alex Kutakos, if... It, you know, I don't mean to be offensive to Asteras, but it's Asteras. Okay? We've secured the league. We have nothing to play for right now except the Kipalo. We're not fighting for an invincible season. There is no excuse. Zero. None excuse. Play one. I'm not saying to just throw scrubs on and every, you you know, completely throw the games. No. just I just want one. You're going to make me watch Tiago Silva play this damn game? Tiago Silva, almost 80 touches in the game and did almost nothing. One shot assist all game. No through passes from him. Nothing. I have to watch 80 touches of Tiago Silva making 10-meter passes or less. What a joke. What a, uh, Thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. I didn't, I didn't want to offend you, man. Alex <laughs> is watching live. Sorry, mate. Sorry. But that, it's ridiculous. I don't want to see Tiago Silva. I'm done. Send him back to Nottingham Forest. I was joking around with uh, one of the podcasters, Lombro, that you, uh, Republic of Arsenal, 
And yeah. it, he was talking about Jan and Vila being rumored. And I was like, no, take Tiago Silva. I'll get, we'll give him to you. I will give him to you and I'll send you some Uzo, Racomelo, some chocolates. I'll give you a back massage too. How about that? Just take him. I don't care. I'm done. 80 touches and you do nothing. How is that possible? He like will take a player on just to stop in front of him and pass it square. Every time. There's no ingenuity. There's no football brain here. I'm done. I'm done with it. I don't care how technical you are. I don't care if you have a nice touch. There's no football brain. There's none. I, f- I feel like we just have one semi-useless midfielder who gets rotated like every year, whether it was Natto. Was it Natto? Is that his name? BBI yeah, but at Nato. least Natto. It was decent. Natto had played in big teams, man. But like, yeah. But a player who was just like, okay, like Kafu, Tiago Silva. What is is Natto the good example there? Like, is there no? Because Natto was a great impact. So the problem is he couldn't last ninety minutes. Yeah, and he wanted to play ninety minutes. He was. But a I'm great trying impact, to remember. Though. Was there one that other midfielder it. we had that year who like was just bang average? I mean, uh, there were. We, I mean, at one point we had Yaya Torre who could barely walk. Oh my God, yes. But I mean, just like a bang average. He played average as a 10 play. anyway. Yeah, God, that was... F- Do you remember yeah, he started in Milan? Fuck. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Tiago Silva for me is just... Um, when I see Tiago Silva in our team, I'm trying to convince myself that it's all a dream. Yeah. yeah Honestly, guys, just you. like what is the point of Tiago Silva? I... I just it pains me to watch him play football a bit, and it's funny because Nottingham Forest supporters are like claiming this guy is the king and the top player. He's a bit of a an average one. So I just it's it's again like the Kafu situation last year where it's like why is this dude Kafu playing? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like this guy's like twenty eight, twenty nine. This is who he is as a player. He's not gonna have a future past this year at Olympiacos. No. So like. No. Why? And, and he's also terrible on the defensive end of the ball. He's he had so three bad. fouls. He had, he led the team in fouls committed. Like he just he always doesn't does. know. He doesn't know how to defend without trying to kill somebody. You yeah. know what I mean? You have we have Pepe, who like there there's skill there. It's just an issue of like he just the effort and it, he's a, like more of a mentality issue. Uh, I did a blog about it. At you know Pepe, there's a, for me at least there appears to be something there. But Thiago Silva, I remember when we first brought him in, and I remember we were talking to some Nottingham Forest fans, and they were like, "Yeah, take him. Like he seems he has like a nice touch, but he doesn't ever do anything." And yeah, I see now what they were talking about. Take him back. You know, if he, if they're excited to have him back now, fine, take him. I don't care. Just get rid of him. I'd rather have Adruzzos or Solis, uh, you know, picking, you know, doing something there. But yeah, talk about miserable. Absolutely miserable. And on the other end of that, we got a comment here. Hugo Kuypers looks good. Would give him a chance next season. I agree. I enjoyed. But just, I don't know. I've enjoyed Hugo Kuypers, and I've really liked him from the start. But it's just like the goals aren't there. The goals haven't been coming. You know what I mean? The goals aren't there, and the technical ability is. Now, see, here's the thing. The energy is lovely. The energy is amazing. I love it. He, you know, and that's the thing people always seem to forget with like David Fuster. David Fuster wasn't a wizard with the ball. He actually was, in terms of his touch, was pretty ordinary. You know what I mean? He had a great shot, but he did the he did the he did the simple things right, and his work rate was phenomenal. And that's why I find it so hard to like 
dislike Kuipers because the effort is there. The energy is there. I love it. It's just, it's just, he doesn't have that killer instinct. He doesn't have, he just doesn't have that, that, that goal threat, that instinct for that. And his ball playing ability is okay. It's not amazing. So he does like you watch El Arabi and what happens when you play Hassan off of El Arabi. So, and, and that works because El Arabi is just a fantastic footballer. But when you see Kuipers on there with Hassan, neither one of them can do that. You know what I mean? And Kuipers has the energy that you like, but he's not a world beater. So that's that's like the that's the thing here. We've I'd had still give so him many a shot, like but, him. We've had yeah. Miguel Angel Guerrero. If like let's say Another Hugo Kuipers played as many minutes as Guerrero, would their production be damn near the same? Like I have a gut feeling, maybe. Yeah, I wish Kuiper and Manos. Like I'm gonna keep giving you names. Manos was the same thing. Remember? Yeah, just never gave us the goal. And then what was his name? Giving him Soldano, prize, Franco Soldano. Wow. For like a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, let's say. Yeah. Didn't give us the goal, but gave us good energy. And I, this is actually so funny. I never even texted you guys in the group chat. This looked like Soldano scored, I guess, for Boca Juniors. And they were just ripping him to shreds, making like absolute jokes, like posting like a picture of him on Pele. And they're like, it's unbelievable. He's finally <laughs> scored. Like just making so much fun of him on the tweet, announcing he had scored a goal for Boca. Like, and I was like, okay, the Soldano may not be good enough for us. <laughs> they were yeah. just making fun of him endlessly and it's like we've seen this story before like i really like hugo kuipers i really you do like, like him, him. he speaks greek one because he speaks greek and two like i don't know i i just feel like he's gonna go somewhere maybe in belgium maybe in france and like and do well you know i could see uh, him going back yeah. to belgium and and making a career you know almost like a Almost some of like these Belgian players who left us, like Dosevi, I don't know, who just like go back home and make themselves a very good career. And we are always thinking, like, God damn, like I wish he, uh, wish he sticked around. And yes, he also dumped Ike and chose us over them. So I just want to see more time for him and the less, less time for Hassan, maybe, like maybe him all alone coming up and. Yeah, I I have another name to give us. Like Kenny Lala came off injured at halftime. How you guys who are listening now, and I'll ask you, Adi, this now: Are we worried about Kenny Lala? It's been a lot of meh performances, as Peter likes to say, where it's almost we we were expecting so much and we haven't seen it yet. Is this all down to just like no preseason, no cohesion, or technically? Sometimes technically watching him, I I felt like this guy is not even that great either. Like, what do you think? So remember when I did the deep dive on Kenny, I said the one thing that we don't know how he's going to assimilate in is that he was playing on a purely defensive team. They didn't get forward very much in any game. Uh, When they did, he looked like he was doing a job. He looked like he, he looked like he he had decent touch. He didn't lose the ball cheaply. Uh, He was quite physical. But my question was, how is this going to translate to a team that is always dominating? And, and what I see is a little timidness from him trying to go forward. Um, in the beginning, he didn't look like he was overlapping. And he, I see, we see him overlapping more now. He, you know, just a month, he's already overlapping more. 
in per on a per game basis than he was when he first came in. And I, I think he needs a summer. I think he needs a summer to gel with the team and to, to mesh a little bit because he looks afraid to get forward because for years he played on a team that all he did was defend, sit back, sit back, sit back, only getting forward in very specific occasions. You can't train that out of a person overnight or even in a month. It takes a lot of work, a lot of work. And I saw some things I did like with him. We saw a lot of runs. Madi unlocking him a couple times on that side with some runs. Um, and then when Vrusai moved over there, I think that helped him out a little bit when Martin switched the wingers. And I think that helped because he had a player uh, that he could play off of a little more because Valbuena just kind of floats wherever the hell he's going to go. And you can't give a guy like Lala that's a little timid going forward, a guy, a winger that's going to go wherever the hell he wants, and then he's by himself. You have to have somebody that's experienced in this system to be able to deal with all that open space on his own. Or a guy like Adruzos who can run all day and isn't afraid to get forward. So I'm, I'm, I'm not bothered. I'm not worried about it. He's going to be fine. He, I want to see him with a full summer of training, really gelling with the team. I am not worried about him at all. Also because he's way better defensively than Andruzos. That's it. Uh, I'm okay with him, though. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, no, I just... The conversation is uh, ongoing, ongoing throughout the community, and I thought I would bring it up. It, it, it was it was a strange game against Asteras, like just so boring, man, just so boring. And I I want to pull up our since that Ike game. It seems like the football has been kind of meh, and I guess that's to the. <laughs> Oh man, this is why I hate doing these things live. George, I'm happy you're watching and thank you. Oh my you god, Lambra's so cute for the thank audio for the, it, it's, Thanks, it, at like twelve fifteen at night here in Geneva, pushing on talking about Kenny Lala and like this game against us that ass. Anyway, yeah. I it, it, the football's just been meh and I'm kinda scared we're gonna keep playing meh and then Wednesday's gonna come around against Boss and yeah. It's going to be a kind of a shit show and we're going to be scared that we're not going to make it through for like 60 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, I'm a bit worried that there's literally no rhythm in this team. And I don't know what yeah. Pedro Martins is going to do to kind of get these guys back on track. The So, and this is why you should be playing more youth players, because guess what? The guys that know they're the starters on the team, that know they're going to be the starters come next season, they 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 drop a gear or two. But guess what? The young guys or the rotation players that have skin in the game, that want that time, that want to impress the coach, they're going to put everything on that field. That's why you play them. And then you have energy. The energy on the field is contagious. Everybody that's played the game can tell you that. doesn't matter who it is. When you see somebody really working hard or doing well, it motivates you to do the same. So by putting those young guys on, and, and letting them just run and, and, and do what they can to impress the coach. It then motivates everybody else on the field. Yes, it has that effect. Just, I'm not going to keep bitching about it because there's no point, but that's really one of the reasons why you want to have some of these rotational and young guys on the field because it can help elevate everybody else's performance when they're kind of kicking it back a gear. Now, I wanted to give a shout-out to our good boy, Mari Kamara. Amazing. Even when he's like having an off game, the guy is just a class above the rest. 
A hundred touches. A hundred touches against us. Steros. 94% pass accuracy. Four smart passes. Well, four attempted. I don't remember how many were accurate. I think it was like one or two. But still, sees those lanes all the time. He's the guy that sees the moves. He sees the defense's breakdown. He's a fortunist that plays deeper. Oh, God, we're not going to keep him, man. Like I'm going to be so sad when we lose Madi because th- it's just a matter of time before he goes. He does. He he is a caliber, an elite caliber player that should be playing in a top league. He really and is. It felt like he was like in first gear the whole game too, right? <laughs> it felt yeah. like he was doing this without even trying. Like he was just ridiculous, man. And another player I want to bring up, Co- Costa's not here to yell at me, so I thought I'd bring it up while he's not here. Christensen, the debate is raging. The debate is raging in the the group chats, the WhatsApp chat. I personally rate him. I know a lot of you agree with me. Throw it in the comments if you do. But the the debate of whether Christensen should be getting these minutes at the end of the season or Tzolakis. And for me, how do I explain this? The games I saw Tzolakis play, he's 17 years old too. I, I hate criticizing him like this, but... His handling was poor. He didn't inspire confidence, especially in the cup final against Pauk. His distribution was poor. And that's fine. But, like, we're, we have a competition for for the first-team goalkeeper because Jose Sá is leaving this summer, if we're being real. And Christensen has shown me, at least so far, like, this guy, this guy could do it. You know, this may sound stupid in, like, three months, but... There's a reason he's an Icelandic international. There's a reason he was voted player of the season for Larissa a few times. And like, like this guy is quite good and his distribution is good. His reading of the game is good. He inspires confidence. His handling is good. I I know he didn't get challenged much. That's why I, I really want to see him actually on Saturday. Is it Saturday? Sunday with Ike. Because I think he could be the one. I think he could be the one who replaces uh, Jose Sa. I know that sounds a bit ridiculous. I don't think Zolakis at this point can replace anyone. So it's a bit of a waste of time playing Zolakis right now for me. I don't know. This is the time you can play him, though. It's against Asteras. So look, I understand what you're saying about Christensen because he does look, for me, he does look more calm, secure, uh, more confident in the back. He come now, but remember, he's 31 years old, and even though he looks calm, he looks he looks like confident back there. He comes out, he doesn't have too many issues. He's 31. It's not the end of a goalkeeper's career. It's toward towards the middle of it, I'd say. Yeah, they're, they're a bit older, I feel. Yeah. But th- th- we're seeing basically the ceiling of what he, this is. It. I mean, he's not really going to get that much better. Now, the Tzolakis is. I mean, we're hearing so much about him from different sources. People notice him. They know that he's a great academy product. And maybe Christensen becomes the starter, at least in the beginning of next season. I'm okay with that, with the more secure player, the older player, more experienced player doing that. But Zolakis needs to get games, especially when they mean nothing. There was no excuse for him not to play. I'm sorry. He should have played instead of Christensen against Asteras. I'm okay with Christensen playing in a derby because, look, a young kid playing in a derby, we know how the media will crucify, even the fans will crucify a young Greek talent. So I'm okay with him not playing against Ike, Panathinaikos, Pak, whatever. But in this game against Asteras, 
Solaki should have played. He really should have. Because those, the nerves we saw when Solakis was playing, he's young. Of course he's going to be nervous. He's, he's on the big stage for the club he loves in a big, big, big game. You got to work those out. The more you play, the, the less those nerves are there. The more you get used to it. And you're not going to get used to it if you don't play, especially in, in games that don't mean anything. It's the best time to work up his confidence. Because even if you lose, it means nothing. So that's, for me, Tolakis has to play. Yeah. I. It's difficult for me because I've liked, I, I didn't even realize Christensen was 31. I thought he was like 26, 27. So that's, that changes my opinion slightly, slightly, but I still, I, I think he. Oh, and Tolakis is eight. Yeah, he turned 18 in, uh, in November, I think. Okay. So, so, so the thing is, I just want him to play out on loan, but yeah, I, I think he should start playing. And really with that, like, man, I'm trying to think, is there really anything else like we want to talk about from this game? Should we just do uh, man of the match? And Yeah, let's just do a man of the match coaching yeah. grade. You could start. Man of the match and coaching grade. Uh, where do I begin? I would, can I just give man of the match to Socrates for the goal and the clean sheet playing decent? Why not? Yeah, you can. Why That's not? Reasonable. I'll give it to him. I feel like no one's going to remember this game. Do any of you still even remember the game? <laughs> I'm sorry. Asteros fans and Olympiacos fans. Um, coaching grade? I'm, say B+. Plus. I don't know. I just, I just thought it was a mad game. You know? Not much. You, uh, for I, me, for me, coaching grade... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, look, he had a couple of changes he had to make, injuries, otherwise. Um, I I'm still going to give him like a solid B, bordering B minus, because again, I'm sick of seeing some of these guys, like Avram, like, come on, guys. Really? Really? Are we going to see this again? Did you Thiago see the Silva? kid on Nova Sports telling me, like, Avram is like a man? I did. I watched. I. I, I I can't be bothered with that shit. Dude, oh my god, these that. people are just so dumb. This is why I don't take a lot of Greek fans sometimes in Greece seriously. Because they're like American football fans. You know what I mean? Some of them just like they just say weird shit. And it makes no sense. Yeah. So, so, it, but whatever, man. It, it is what it is. So the, B B minus for Martins. Yeah. And my man of the match is Rusai. Yeah, he played well. He the highest well. X-goal threats came from him. Anytime, and anytime he touched the ball, he was dangerous. Link up with him was fantastic. And then runner-up is Marika Mara. Gikotsia, uh, should Barales had been sent off? Eh. Kenny Lala was sent off for less, to be honest with yeah, you. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Or maybe that's not true. less. Like, he kind of did stamp on the yeah, ankle. Yeah, exactly. But, he did like, stamp Barales, on the ankle. Barales, like, winded up and slammed his knee. Like, that was... There was yeah. heavy contact there. Like, I don't know what I've the I've seen injury... it given. I've also seen it not given, I'll be honest with you, but... Also, but... I'm just looking back at some comments, thoughts on Bruma. Uh, 307... Uh, the opinion on Bruma here is is pretty. We get asked this every episode, every yeah, live episode. Guys, people ask we, we're kind of tired of talking about Bruma, man. They can listen to some of the <laughs> and older Chewich episodes. And too. I saw somebody asked about Chewich. Yeah, Aguilus, and, uh, uh, Aguilus asked guys, "What's your opinion yeah. on Chewich?" 
Aguilar's man, were we've talked about too much a lot of times. We want to see him come back in the summer and see what he can do, man. Get, yeah, get a few, and I will do. Games. I will be doing for a lot of our loan players. I already did a blog post about Pepe. May do something in a podcast or maybe another blog post about other loan players returning. I'll, I promise. I will dive deep into their moves and assess how they did. I promise I will do all of that, whether it's on a podcast or in a blog post. I will get to each one. It started with Pepe, but I will do more. I gave you guys a little bit with Maxi Lovera. Um, I think that and, and Cisse. So I will do more for every single one. But the, guys, these take time. Like when, when I watch film, it, it takes a lot of time. It usually yeah. because I have the baby now, too. It takes me like multiple days to watch all the film I like. I take notes. Because uh, I, I like to be thorough because you guys deserve that. You know what I mean? I want to make sure everybody has an informed opinion on these things. So when I, I don't mess around with these deep dives. I want to make sure you guys know exactly what we're getting so that we can then, when we talk about him, when we see him, we can decide whether or not he's a disappointment or not or what he has to offer. So I will get to them, I promise. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it, it would be interesting to do, this may sound crazy, a Bruma deep dive at the end of the season just because everyone, we watch do every it. day. But like yeah, a deep dive it. into the statistical analysis. And with that, what else is there really, to, we wanted to talk about real quick, this European Super League just like blowing yes. the hell up. Thank God. Yeah, fantastic and, news really. Like, Yep. And if I can, I, I tweeted this and it took, a, took off a little bit on Twitter, like, I want to see punishment. And you know what these freaking English FA and people are saying? We can't punish them because it would hurt the fans. Like, but you people feel free to deduct points for teams for not running their financials right, kicking teams out of Europe, things like that. Uh, it, it's like they're making excuses now for these big teams who took our our game hostage and almost destroyed football as we know it these teams won relegation should be on the table for me i know they're not going to do it but no, it should be on they, the table they make too much money they There's make too, too much, much revenue money. but this is almost like a cheating scandal like juventus was sent to serie b for this and i know the italians my friends are roma fans they they've been discussing sending them to serie b the newspapers in italy have been asking it so for me it's it's on the table and the question of european football ban for a year i think should also be on the table every single one every single one and huge it won't fines. happen though it's not gonna multi-million dollar fine more than multi-million yeah. you could throw 30 million euro fine at them that's they were risking so much guys they yeah. were risking so much these european teams and again uh was it Agelus? yes we were talking about nicola chumich <laughs> I love that we're getting so many comments on him. Yes, we're going to be evaluating Nikola Chumic as the season ends and talking that, talking about that. And we have a comment from Chris Oxford. Now Super League is gone. What reform would you want to see in the Champions League? Two teams from each nation. Four is too biased. Adi, what do you think? So this is, um, before I get to that, I want to explain why the, European Super League was a bad idea uh, because it wasn't the, 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 the idea behind it coming from the American model. Some of what's behind the American model is good. 
but they didn't take that. They didn't take the stuff that made the American model work because there's so much nuance. Remember, there's different cultural aspects here. There's different cultures around different culture around sports in the United States, where I live, where Lambro's from, where Peter's from, than there is in Europe, where, where Costa lives, where all where many of you guys are from. In the United States, we love parody. We want pure parody. And remember, the sports that we have here that are big, not a lot of them are big in other parts of the world. American football. It's really only big here. It's getting popular in the UK, but that's it. Baseball is popular in some areas, in, in like uh, some players, uh, South America, Central America. Uh, but, you know, the, the league that everyone cares about is the MLB. NBA, you know, you have basketball in Europe, of course, which is huge. And then basketball in the United States. The system that supports our professional sports is related around college that because we don't have like youth academies for anything it's there's you go to college and then you get put into a draft because there's no purchasing of players like it is in soccer there's no oh i'm gonna buy this guy for 10 million you for 5 million there's none of that you pick players you get draft picks if you come in last in the league, there's no relegation or promotion, something that I personally hate, but we don't have it. There's parity. So if you do really bad, some people say, oh, you got rewarded. But the idea is if you do bad, you get a chance to have a new beginning. You get the first round pick. I've, you can pick the best player of the young class that's coming in. So the things that make American sports great is one, parity. In most sports, if there is no salary cap, whether it's the NHL or football, there, there's a salary cap. Or even in baseball and basketball now, there's a luxury tax. If you spend more than a certain amount on your budget, you get taxed on it. And there isn't anything like that in Europe. So they tried to import this model that has two core tenants that make, that make it competitive and, and make it fun for us in the United States to watch. There's parity. Because every team has to spend the exact same. They can't spend more or less than another team with certain respects. Vinagre would have been number one pick in the ESL draft. Absolute baller. Fetanos. Oh, my God. You guys are killing me in these comments. Fetanos legend always makes me laugh. Anyway, so you can't spend more than other, other teams for the most part. And you all make the same money. There's revenue sharing. So everybody makes virtually the same money. You can't import that to Europe across multiple countries like this. And we love, in the United States, an underdog story. And guess what happens very frequently in American sports because of the nature of the parody? Underdogs can be victorious. You don't have the same team that's winning every freaking year like it is in half of these other leagues, like in Greece or Spain or one or two teams. In football, there's tons of different teams that win. Like the Patriots are the most, you know, they they do win a little bit more than the rest, but it comes down to your infrastructure and your philosophy. That's how you win. How you pick the right players, how you allocate your resources based on that. Now, when they tried to make this ESL, this European Super League, they didn't they didn't touch on these core tenants. They were just like, oh, hey, look, no relegation, no promotion. Uh, let's just get a shit ton of money. We're backed by more JP Morgan Chase. And we pick this country club of teams that gets to hang out. All the teams that make the most money and have the largest 
audiences. Hey, we're going to bring them together and just play with each other. Completely closed system. That's not the American model. That's not what makes the American model successful. And it doesn't surprise me that these billionaire, millionaire owners, uh, friends with J.P. Morgan Chase, Florentino Perez, uh, and his buddies in the EPL, that they don't understand that and that they completely screwed this up because they didn't take what makes the American system great, why we love it in the United States. They took the worst parts of it. They took the greed, and they tried to export that to Europe. That's why this failed. Greedy assholes screwed this up. And isn't it funny how FFP disappears when some of these clubs would be skirting that? And now they want to they wanna screw up football for all of these countries just so that they can balance their books. And I'm sorry if I'm explicit here. Fuck you guys. Because guess what? When our clubs have a problem, it's, oh, uh, you know, get yourself up by your bootstraps. Balance your books. Make the tough choices. Oh, and by the way, ban from Europe. Ban from transfers. Fuck you guys. That's what you say to us when the smaller clubs have a problem. So guess what? Fuck you guys. You can have a transfer ban. Get your books together. Barcelona, go bankrupt. Get your books together. I don't care. I know Messi's on the team, but I don't care if Barcelona's history gets screwed. I don't care. They should you go guys bankrupt. made these mistakes. Yeah. Go bankrupt. I don't care. Your legacy? Fuck your legacy. I don't care. It's time for these. That's it. some of these big teams to go face what some of the smaller teams like it's as ridiculous. much as we hate them like Panathinaikos banned for Europe from like three yeah. years they have more European pedigree than Tottenham yeah and look guys I, I, you know I know that some of the hardcore back fans are like oh why are you praising Panathinaikos I'm just saying like the thing is it's a joke yeah it, yeah it is a bit of a joke and I think one of the comments we had was from Chris was like what is there to do now um so this whole thing about like the legacy teams making it is so so incredibly stupid. It won't happen. It won't happen. And the I, outcry, I think the outcry that happened, not happening. It's not. Yeah, happening. I think to be honest with you, like Ilkay Gundogan came out with a statement saying like he doesn't like the new format with more games. But like coming from <laughs> our perspective, the ten games and like the table is that better for us? We get to play yeah, ten games money. in the Champions League as well. More money. Yeah, it's no, but money. from Look, like our side, just like watching, I prefer to watch us in Europe than I do in Greece because the games yeah. are better and they're more fun. Yeah, like, absolutely. So 10 games in the Champions League, I'm fine with that. 36 teams, I'm fine with that. I would just rather the spots go to the champions of some of these teams. So they, I can Tottenham start in like the, or not Tottenham, but the fifth, the fourth place team in England, can they start in the first qualifying rounds and we get automatic? See, I no. don't want – so I liked when they stopped taking, like, the top leagues and having, like, their fourth-place team have to play that playoff round because, do you like, can you – like, do you guys remember drawing some hot shots or some teams having to draw, like, Arsenal or whatever in that playoff round just to make it? No. I Right now, the caliber of teams we have to play to get into the Champions League group stage, Basak Sahir, Partizan, Krasnodar – our odds are way better against them than in some of these top teams. Yeah, but what I'm arguing out is of like, our mark, out of our stratosphere, the champions of our leagues like Scotland, Greece, the Netherlands, Serbia should just be in automatically instead of these. Like, it yeah, the best game saying. should be like 
let's be honest, like Valencia and Spurs should be playing to qualify for the Champions League, not Olympiacos and Krasnodar if Krasnodar won. Like, like Olympiacos and Red Star shouldn't be playing in qualifiers. It should be Tottenham and Valencia who are fourth place teams because they're the champions of nothing. I know that's never yeah. going to happen, but the champions of Europe should be automatically in while the fourth place teams battle it out. And the fourth place teams, okay, maybe they're Lille from from France. Maybe they're, I don't know, Atalanta at this moment, or even Juve. Maybe we'll see how the table ends up in Italy. But just mind. I opinion. have to find a video because somebody broke this down already. Because we they kind of already sort of did what you're talking about. And I understand I I, I liked that. But then when somebody did the breakdown, sure. You know, you get some of these cha- title winners from these other countries qualifying, but it's almost guaranteed that 90% of those other teams from the smaller leagues will not make it in. And it sucks. And uh, uh, Vios Mentas said, exactly, we shouldn't play four rounds when we are champions. Yeah, I look, guys, I'm not disagreeing. It sucks. Um, but the the if you do that, the net result is less smaller clubs actually will continue to to go forward because now now you're you're requiring anybody else that has to make the qualifications to play against these big teams in qualifications you're not playing against teams of your caliber so that's that's kind of why one works and the other doesn't work quite as much brilliant comment by Fetanos. A good thing about the Greek Super League not having a straight spot in the Champions League is that Pauk still haven't qualified. Just That's so true. Just so true. It's it's so true. But anyway, with that, guys, like I don't know if uh, you have any last closing remarks, but we're running past an hour here. So Well, moving that so the Swiss model. So I'm a little intrigued by the Swiss model right now. Get away. Get rid of the safety net. Nobody deserves a safety net. Earn it. You think you're the best? And you have the best legacy, earn it. It shouldn't be hard then. Screw it. But I like the Swiss model for a couple of reasons. The Swiss model, it makes it so the algorithm, the way you get matched against players or other players and other teams, it's more or less where you are in the pecking order with coefficient. So ideally, if you're in the bottom of the pecking order and you win a couple, you start playing harder, harder teams. But you're going to play the teams that are near you and then you play more difficult or less difficult teams depending on where you're seated. This plays into what everybody wants. It gives the smaller teams a fairer chance at progressing, but it also gives the people that want more money and the revenue, the people worried about the revenue pools, uh, what they want because more of the better teams are playing against each other. And guess what? You don't play the same people twice. You're going to play 10 games against 10 different teams. That's pretty cool. I like that. I like that I don't have to play Bayern Munich twice. I like yeah. that I don't have to play Barcelona twice. It's great. I th- now I think it would be so fun. There's been an adjustment on how they are going to award the four extra spots. Because remember, it's 36, not 32 teams. So here's exactly what they said. The first extra slot is going to the club ranked third in the table of the association that is fifth in the association rankings. So for example, that means a third place team from the currently fifth league, which is France would get into champions league. So that would be like Monaco right now. Uh, the second extra slot goes to a domestic champion after expanding the champions path from four clubs to five. The third and fourth slots go to the two clubs with the highest club coefficients that have not qualified automatically 
for the UCL group stage. This is the safety net that everyone wants to get yeah. rid of because basically the I think the clubs with the highest coefficients right now are Real Madrid and um uh, I can pull it up, but Wait, that's but what everyone's pissed this about. This is wild to me, right? Like, could let's say like oh, I'm trying to think of a team that has a great co- like historically Manchester United. Like let let's say Manchester United finished in tenth place. Do they get into the Champions League because of their coefficient, or do they need to be in at like sixth place and just missed it? Like, how does that work? Do you know? So, I mean, there's stuff that they still have to clear up a little bit. I think this shit's um, about to fly. Like, I don't think this is going to fly. No, I think it's gonna, not going to. They're, that know. safety net, they're going to get rid of it. Okay, so here you go. The club, the right now, especially as now that they pulled this shit of like they threw yeah. this safety net in for dog shit teams like Arsenal and Tottenham who can't qualify like from the league. So now they right. threw the safety net. Now that those teams tried to just pull a freaking coup d'état. They're yeah. gonna be. They're gonna feel free to get rid of it, you know. Uh, the winner of the conference league gets immediate qualification to in Europa the group league, stage right? for Europa League. <laughs> so sad. So okay. the um, the the club basically the safety net. We said, yeah. let me pull it back up. I I agree with Risto who said which leagues coefficient spot get an automatic spot. I'd expand that over safety net. Yeah. So you would expand that. I think it would be. Uh, I think it would be Switzerland, maybe. Uh, Risto, I really don't remember off the top of my so, head. Maybe remember, Turkey and Switzerland, the, the two teams who would get it if automatically. I, I don't remember. There seems to be some confusion here. So I'm going to reread this again. The third and fourth slots go to the two clubs with the highest club coefficients that have not qualified automatically for the UCL stage, but have qualified either for the qualifying stage of Europa League or Europa Conference League. So that essentially means that the best performing teams number wise that didn't get into like the, the, the champions league stage, but they did qualify for Europe get bumped into that phase. So Arsenal, if Arsenal doesn't make any European competition, they can't just get safety netted into there. They did change it, but I, I hope they just get rid of it. So let's go through and I, and we can kind of figure this out for ourselves, what this means. So right now the teams with the top coefficient, Number one is Bayern Munich. Number two is Real Madrid. Now, they have both already, as of right now in this season, qualified for Champions League. So they wouldn't benefit from that. Barcelona third. They've already qualified. Doesn't benefit them. Manchester City. Probably qualifying as as it stands right now. Don't need it. Juventus. Now, Juventus uh, in the... the They're sitting in fourth place. They're... um... So right now they make it. So they, this wouldn't apply to them. Um, Atletico Madrid currently winning La Liga doesn't apply to them. PSG, uh, PSG's in second right now, I believe, correct doesn't, behind Leo, but they still get it. No. They're going into Champions League, so doesn't apply to them. Man U, uh, Man they're in U second is place. second they're place in. doesn't apply to them. Um, Liverpool. So this is where it, it gets. Said, this is where it comes in. Yeah. So Liverpool. As it stands, if the league ended today, would not be in any European competition. But because of that safety net, they would automatically qualify because they're the highest T, the club with the highest coefficient that didn't, or sorry, 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 no. Liverpool hasn't qualified for any European competition. They don't go in because you have to qualify for at least a European competition to get put in. So So they wouldn't get in. Even if you qualify for like, 
but conference league, like let's say you get like six yes. whatever place. Whatever, okay, yeah, exactly. Then you can go in, but you have to qualify for a your a European competition. Is it in order one to quick question? Is Europa League? We yes. Is Europa League also changing along with this, like to fit into these lines? Like what happens to Europa League qualification format? Is Europa League gonna stay the same as the old format? Yeah. Is uh, they haven't changed it yet. It's Europa weird League though, right? You would think the competitions yeah. follow each other, right? So like Europa well, League would follow the model of the new Champions League, and it would be would similar think, ten games. But it's usually but, delayed. They de they have bullshit, a tendency yeah. to like delay it. Yeah. Uh, now next is Sevilla. So Sevilla's in fourth. They're already making it to Champions League. Uh, Arsenal. As it stands, Arsenal's not in European competition. So they yeah. wouldn't get in either because you have to qualify for a European competition in order to benefit from the new safety net. You want to uh, know a team Chelsea. that will? Is Roma. Roma, my friends are Roma. They're in sixth place, I think, right now. Yep. And they're looking at Conference League. I would assume they have a decent coefficient. They're in the they semifinals. They're of the League. So yeah, I, we're so on they Chelsea would be, next. And Chelsea yeah. right now is... I believe they're, they're top in, four. They're in top four, yeah. So they already get Champions League. Borussia Dortmund. Double check. Oh, Borussia Dortmund's in like sixth or seventh place as well. Oh, so this could be so, one as well. So they would get the safety net. They would be yeah. the first one to get the safety net as of right now. Tottenham Hotspur. They're close <laughs> as well check. to getting. Let me check where they're in the table. But if uh, they would be the second one to benefit from. The safety net. Yeah. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur is, is currently sixth. So they right now have a, a Europa League spot. So they would be the second team right now to benefit from that safety net. Just a broken system. Just yeah. So I don't, the safety net shouldn't be there. You have to be good enough. So I, they're, I have a feeling they're going to get rid of it because people, look, you saw the outcry. And people now are been catching on. Plenty of people yeah. we're seeing on social media are catching on. And it's it's so screwy, it's yeah. it's so screwy, it's so stupid. So it's I hope they get rid of it, but uh, I and I hope they just give more spaces to other teams down the line, because that's how it should be. If you're going to expand it, make it so more teams can enter, more teams from the smaller leagues. That's the best way to do it. But all besides that, I am. I kind of like the Swiss model because more games, more money for smaller teams. And I think that'll be better. It makes the group stage better, to be honest yeah, with you. It makes it, really it, it does. does make it better. It does. We get to I see do. more fun teams in Europe. We get to travel yeah. more. We tra and like for a team like us with a league as shit as we have, like more games in Europe are never going to, we're never going to say no at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, with that, guys, I think we're going to close up. It's almost 12.45 tonight here, Central Euro European time here in Switzerland. If you've been listening live, thank you so much. We didn't have huge numbers, but we had a few faithful listening. It was a bit of a surprise. We weren't sure if we were going to go live or not. So thank you guys for following along live. If you've been listening on podcasts, please make sure to drop a review down in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. And on YouTube, guys, this YouTube channel we've got is growing pretty big. Um, please subscribe, like, comment. It helps grow the channel, helps connect other Olympiacos fans around the world, which is our mission. And make sure to keep reading blogs on the website. Peter Thompson gave you his first blog today. Couldn't make it today for technical difficulties. 
Fetanos, good night, my friends. <laughs> yeah, deadlines. It's it's a bit midterm season. Last week was a bit tough for me as well. Anyway, guys, uh, with that, we'll talk to you guys next time. And have a good night. Have a good day. I, I don't know when you'll listen. Anyway, ciao, boys. You just listened to an episode of the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Brussels to Tokyo, from Toronto to Geneva. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you will never miss out on the latest updates and stories of the team you love. If you liked what you heard, make sure to follow us on social media at Gate7INTL, Give us a subscribe on YouTube or even leave a review on all our podcast channels. Until next time, this is our team, our city and our story. Thrilos, he said. Sto mialo kati magiko.